Shalom, and thank you for listening to our podcast. I'm Shmuley Yanklowitz, the president and dean of Valley Beit Midrash. At VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning, bringing cutting-edge ideas and innovative and pluralistic Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion, but we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider making a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and the world. Please visit www.valleybaitmidrash.org. Thank you so much, and enjoy the program. And also, like, if the, I would say, like, if you have, like, um, question, like, clarity questions, like, as we're going through it, I also don't mind, you know. I think there's room for us to have a big discussion at the end, but along the way, if there's something I'm saying that's not clear or something in the slides that's not clear, please don't hesitate. Um, just to, to, I don't know how many people know about JTA, but basically JTA, we're going to be 100 years old next year. Um, it's... Historic, its historic role was to be the, basically the wire service um, for Anglo-Jewish newspapers, no, not just Anglo-Jewish newspapers, Jewish newspapers in North America, around the world, um, it, it, um, and we still serve that function. They, the JTA has 65 syndication clients, including Times of Israel, Haaretz, Jerusalem Post, um, um, the... the uh, all, m- most metro- local Jewish newspapers across the country. Um, in, a, in addition, I, before I came to the JTA, I also I was at the Forward for seven years. My first day at the Forward was the day that it leaked that Joe Lieberman was going to be the vice presidential candidate. So I, I went, and, and I, was, I had worked at a Jewish exponent in Philadelphia, so this was like I was going from a local to like a national stage. I walk in, still was fairly young. Um, I guess I'd like to think I'm still fairly young, but I was really fairly young then. And like all of a sudden I'm in this national, and the forward's sort of like the, you know, was like a premier national Jewish entity. And all of a sudden I'm thrown into the Joe Lieberman beat. And what was bizarre for me as somebody in the Jewish media world was suddenly I was covering this story and everybody was covering the story. Like, I'm writing, I, I get the Joe Lieberman beat, and I'm competing with reporters from every outlet you can think of to try to find out about, like, what Jewish thing he was doing in high school. I mean, it was insane. <laughs> but what, what it was a real, what, what was, what it, what, but what it really opened my eyes to was, and it, and it played out again and again over the next, you know, it's been like 16 years now that I've been more on the national level, is how often our stories end up being everybody's stories. And even though we're a, like, even though it is a niche media, oftentimes our stories are tied into other important stories. And so there's, you know, that said, we still always have, I think, our own perspective, our own takes. Um, I say all that is just to give you a little more sense of who I am and what my role has been in this. Um, um, but really, other than that election in 1980, um, where Jimmy Carter was running for re-election and, and, and Reagan 
it was close, um, you really have um, you know, Democratic candidates polling 70, around 70% or more. And in some of these elections, they're, you, know, um, you look at 1984, Walter Mondale is beating Ronald Reagan substantially in an election where Ronald Reagan won you know, in a landslide. So Jews are, you know, and you see now, like, in the, um, once you get to Bill Clinton, you know, you're talking around 80% for several of elections, and then to Obama, where it starts, there's, the, the lines are starting to converge. There's still a big gap, but say Obama's in the 70, there's some debate about his total in 08, 74, 78%, down to around 70%. So even, but even there, you have a big um, big gap. So another way I like to look at the Jewish vote is I, so Jewish versus Goyish. What does that mean? Yeah, what does that mean here? On the left are the, are the, per, are the percentages, right, of how each of these candidates, each, how, um, each of the Democrats, I, just, each, I have the Democrats listed on the left, the percentage that they took in the election, and then the, the stat on the right is how they performed against their overall take of the vote. So if you, if, if you look at the bottom, Obama got 69% of the Jewish vote. He got around 51% of the overall vote. So his Jewish vote outpaced his overall vote by about 18%. So when you, and I, I, I think when you look at that, when you look at that stat, you can see in certain elections it tells the different stories. So I, when you look at Mondale, and you say, oh, he got 68% of the Jewish vote, compared to some of the other um, elections, it doesn't seem like such a high total. But then you realize Ronald Reagan won, you know, that Walter Mondale only got 40% of the vote. So suddenly, he's outperforming 27.4 percentage points. It's actually, if you want to look at it from that metric, he actually did really well amongst Jews. And I, and I think one of the things I'd want to stress here is that I think the stat on the right is important because, the, yes, the Jewish electorate has some very clear, distinct characteristics and patterns, and we'll talk about them, but there's also an influence that's going on. We're, we're not a, an, a group in and on to itself. So I think it's important to look at how a candidate, like when a candidate is outperforming or underperforming, um, I, you know, I highlighted the red because you know, not only did Jimmy... You know, not, it's, it's really it's just underscore Jimmy Carter. Uh, um, you know, not only did his to get a teeny percentage, relatively speaking, of the Jewish vote under fifty percent in that election, but he only outperformed his total by by three percent. Um, Clinton in '92, you see, seventy-seven percent may not. See, you know, it's very high. Others did higher, but um, he out. You know, he outperformed his overall vote by thirty-four percentage. Points by you know by far, um, and again I you know I have Obama in red there to show you know it's not just the drop to sixty nine percent but really a relatively smaller outperformance of, of his vote. I just I will note that um, again there has been some debate and re looking at different exit polling data that in nine, in his first run in uh, in '08 was it seventy eight percent or seventy four percent but. You, you get the idea, which is basically he's still performing relatively well, but compare, I mean, he's still performing well, but 
It's a drop from Clinton, Clinton, Gore, Kerry. So something's going on there. We'll ha we, you know, we can talk a little bit about what that is. Any questions or thoughts about this? Okay. Um, so, oh, I was going to say, I, I meant to ask you, who do you think, if you recognize him, you already got the answer, who do you think was the, the, the Republican to win the most Jewish votes? You'd have to go back to Warren G. Harding. <laughs> uh, he got 43. And I should say, I have to dig a little bit more into where they're even getting these statistics, but if you go online to some uh, Jewish virtual library, has a pre, like, which is a, a pretty good, solid resource, they have a whole chart. And um, so I'm not exactly sure where that stat's coming from. That is the stat they put out there. Um, and, but what's interesting is he underperformed. He got 43% of the Jewish vote. He won the Jewish vote, but he got much more. So it's, if you start to think about the numbers, this really doesn't make much, much sense. So what, what was going on in this election? Any history buffs here? We're not voting for the Democrat. They were voting for Eugene Debs. For socialists, uh, he got about 3% of the overall vote, but um, at least on this source, um, got around 35 to 40% of the Jewish vote. Um, so it was an interesting election. Um, a little side note, um, fast forward about 100 years later, and we have a socialist running for the Democratic nomination who, who cites Debs as his political hero and actually becomes the first Jewish candidate to ever win a primary state. Sort of, sort of interesting. I, I, you know, I, and my, I, always, I would say to my colleagues, if, if one is inclined not to like Donald Trump, then I would say the worst thing about Donald Trump's candidacy is that this guy should have been the story. You have a 74-year-old Jewish socialist from Vermont giving Hillary Clinton a fight to the finish, like in any other year, that would have been like the most incredible story. And instead, eh, who cares? He doesn't have a reality show. Right. So, um, so I wanted, I'm going to quickly run through a few, um, just a few other little tidbits that I've picked up on in this job that I just love, my kind of favorite Jewish political tidbits. Um, the state of Wisconsin had two Jewish senators for 20 years. Just always made me laugh. Like, why Wisconsin and, and, and two Jewish senators? At the, same time. At the same time. Both their senators for 20 years were Jews, Russ Feingold and um, Herb Cole. And even better, the state of Minnesota has what we like to call a, an official Jewish Senate seat. For 40 years, Rudy Bauschewitz, Paul Wellstone, Norm Coleman, and I can't believe I'm blanking on his name, Al, Al Franken. So it's that we actually have, the state of Minnesota has an official Jewish Senate seat. Amazing. Um, number one. Why do I have the number one here? Because number one indicates there is exactly one Jewish member of the Iranian parliament and exactly one Jewish Republican in the US Congress. Both getting sworn in there. Um, I, met, I, I think um, I mentioned that just because it underscores a reality both about the Jewish vote, but also about the, the, the function of Jewish lawmakers in the two political parties, that 
And I think there's, there, I think it's, inter, there's a, it's not a coincidence, meaning, you know, at any one time you will have dozens of Jewish, you may have dozens of Jewish um, Democrats in the House and the Senate, you know, one, two, you know, hand, you know maybe um, Jewish Republicans. And I, and I think there's something, it, it's symbolic of something, because like, there's a lot of talk about why have Jews historically voted um, Democrat, Democratic and you know, um, this Marvin Hilmerfeld, the late uh, sociologist, had the famous quote, Jews earn like Episcopalians, they vote like Puerto Ricans. And so the question is, why is that? And I do think this, a big, you know, a big piece of it, it's not just about any one issue, but I do think historically, um, however the society has seen us, you know, I do think Jews see themselves as an, um, have historically seen themselves as an immigrant group, as outsiders looking in, and you know the sense that that, that the, historically, you know, the Democratic Party has been a party of of the outsider, and you know it's it's at least on the lawmaker level, it's played out that way that you have Jewish members, black members, you know, in almost any of those groups, you know, you look and and and, and the Republican Party on the Nash on the national congressional level has been a pretty much not there's some exceptions, but a white Christian party, um, it's played out. But it's not what, you know, I started to notice something as I was like starting to think about these issues as a reporter. It's not just the lawmakers. It's not just that the Democrats have Jewish lawmakers. Let's go through some of the national, the Democratic presidential candidates. Married to a Jew. Daughter, married to a Jew. Daughter, married to a Jew. Um, immediate descendant of Jews, brother converted to Judaism. Child, I forget, daughter, one of his children, married to a Jew. Married a Jew, they're now Mormon. Um, uh, that, that, that was Harry Reid. These are the Democratic leaders in Congress. Nancy Pelosi, daughter, married a Jew. Um, and of course, like Bill, Daughter married to a Jew. I should, be, to be fair, this year, daughter is not only married to a Jew, but is a Jew, but that's the except. What I'm saying is he, it stands out, and he's from New York, so it's all a little different. Yes. Um, we talked about that, that you had Bernie's. Uh, uh, okay. Um, Okay, oh, but before I forget, their daughters are still young. Give them time, but yes, yes. Michelle's cousin, Fanye Capers, a legitimate Jewish rabbi in, Chica in Chicago. Yes, he's got, he's got a black congregation, but they, it's not a, it's not, it's like a legitimate Jewish ritual, like it is a Jewish, Jewish black congregation, and they are related. Um, and we didn't even mention, and that's without getting to this guy, without getting to this guy, Joe Lieberman. This is Joe Lieberman. Um, now, I, I was what I, I I mentioned. I was on the Joe Lieberman beat. What I what was very interesting covering that beat was, you know, I've now come to think of. I'm trying to think. I put it. I, I think of him now as the Hebrew national of Jewish candidates. What do I mean by that? 
Hebrew National, the genius of Hebrew National was that, that um, uh, there was a certain point in the 20th century where a, different waves of um, more strict Orthodox Jewish immigrants were coming from different countries, especially after the Holocaust. The, the level of kosher, the kashrut standards were becoming more stringent, and glot kosher was becoming a standard. And, Hebrew, and a lot of the meat companies were not glot kosher. You can have a different discussion about the difference between kosher and glot kosher. And Hebrew National had to make a decision, right? And they, they made the radical decision that they're going to stay kosher. They're not going to go glot kosher. But instead of marketing the Orthodox, they're going to market to the not, not just the Jewish world, the non-Jewish world. And so they're going to take a kosher product and they're going to market it to the rest of the world. To me, I would cover Joe Lieberman, and, and I felt like it was so weird because the whole country was talking about this very, very Jewish candidate, and for me, it felt like he was a Jewish candidate made for evangelical Christians, for Catholics. Like, he, he, would, he was almost like a minister in a, in a certain way, um, and, and, like in terms of the you know, his focus on sort of values issues and the way he talked about church state. And there was, on the national, like groups like the ADL, there was like a discomfort because everybody was liked him. People were excited. But there was also this kind of sense like, most of us don't talk this way. You know, like, I don't know if people remember. I'm, I'm talking before we forget Iraq. Like, I'm not even talking about that. And I'm talking about church state. You know, he would talk about, and what's his line? The Constitution talks about freedom of religion, not freedom from religion. And he would talk about the need to have more church-state sort of integration, a lower wall, talked about values in Hollywood. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't, I go to different Orthodox synagogues, I don't think of rabbis as like, they preach about morals, but not in a sort of like, you know, the way that he got up and talked about Clinton's immorality. It was like a different, it was a, it was a, it was a, he was a Jewish figure, but he was talking in a language that was really a religious language that was directed, I felt, more to a white Christian America. Hence, back to why I'm saying he's the Hebrew national of Jewish, whatever. Um, but again, like, so it was interesting. He, but it wasn't, it, but also, of course, the, you know, um, Iraq emerged as, as an issue that really, you know, when he ran for president in 2004, by then he was... Um, he was still a firm believer in the Iraq war and defending it, and the party had moved away, and you'll see the Jewish community had moved away as well. I should source this. I believe these are from the annual surveys of the American Jewish Committee. They do an annual survey of American Jewish opinion. Um, in December 2002, before the war, um, the American Jewish opinion for, in support of a, an Iraq war was slightly higher um, than that, the population overall. But you'll see by December of three, um, it was down close to 40% thought the Iraq war was a good idea. By September four, it was down, American Jews were down to 30%. Meanwhile, um, overall American support for the Iraq war was still over 50%. Um, and Joe, you know, so again, Joe, it was an example where Joe Lieberman was, you know, even though in many ways he was, um, you know, this, this had become this Jewish icon, he wasn't necessarily in step with where the Jewish uh, body politic was. It's interesting because uh, the, Jewish, uh, the 
Jewish population in Israel and in Europe were very much in favor of the Iraq War. Right. Right. Although that you know there was um you know there's been a lot of debate about um I'm not talking about the population now I'm talking about the the Israeli military and security leadership about whether or not um, did they actually want the Iraq War or they felt like they wanted to support a president who they saw as being very pro-Israel and fighting terrorism and if that's what he's going to do well. We're not going to be the ones to stand up and say, don't do it. Yeah. Um, but uh, we can talk a little bit, you know, talk more about some of those issues. Um, and then again, I'll, I'll, I'll close the circle by coming to this year. It really struck a lot of us in the Jewish media world how this, you know, Bernie Sanders as a Jewish candidate did not, that theme did not get a lot of coverage. Part of that had to do with the candidates, right? Joe Lieberman wore his yarmulke not just on his head, but on his sleeve. Um, you know, Bernie Sanders, you know, we, you know, we wrote about it. Sometimes he would talk in a debate. There were, there were certainly, he doesn't hide that he's Jewish, and he'll, he'll talk for occasionally about being proud of his background, but there would be times where he'd talk about being, you know, his parents or grand, came from Poland, you know, where he'd like, like, he's a Polish immigrant now, you know, so... Um, but I found it fascinating because to me, I know a lot more Jews who are like him, both in the sort of like the persona, but also in terms of um, where their politics are. Um, wh wh you know, um, and I felt like, I don't know how many of you watched Saturday Night Live, but it, we, I, I felt like it kind of took, <laughs> I felt like for a lot of us it felt cathartic when, um, you know, when, um, when Larry David started doing his uh, imitation and really put the Jewish front and center, and it was so, kind of like gave voice to what kind of was obvious, but was sort of like an undercurrent um, to it. But, and I, I, what I'm about to say isn't exactly scientific, but this is just Ami Eden's view. I think that e even if Bernie Sanders r might remind me of a, a, a Jewish grandpa or uncle or two, and Joe Lieberman is, but he, he's, he's still, you know, I mentioned his, his, his hero is, you know, a socialist candidate from president for 100 years ago. I really think the, uh, the candidate who I feel reflects where the Jewish body politic has moved over many decades is this guy, uh, Michael Bloomberg. And I say that not because he's a billionaire, um, because most of us aren't. I say that because his brand of politics, and, and there's surveys that talk about this. Um, we were talking at the beginning about, you know, you may have had 35% of Jews in an election in 1920 who were voting for a socialist. Today, Jewish liberalism, well, it's only over the last bunch of decades, Jewish liberalism and liberalism overall has really shifted its focus from being an intense economic justice movement and much, you know, Mike, Michael Bloomberg's taking the lead on issues like gun control, um, climate change. You know, there's a whole bunch of I call, cultural issues, social issues, where our liberalism, if you compare liberalism today to liberalism of a different era, it's definitely shifted in, in, in a lot of ways from economics first to a more, you know, when you, when you talk about the issues that animate people, church, state, all the, all the social, cult, like much of our politics 
has been um, much more animated about those fights. I'm not making a judgment about it. I'm just saying. So I think that that um, and I, look, we, we're seeing an election this year that might it might change a lot when you see both Donald Trump's um, success with segments of the population that are um, less educated, uh, underemployed, and you see Bernie Sanders' success with his economic message may, might represent a turning point in our politics, which will probably play out amongst Jews like everybody else. But I'm saying before this election, I would have said, if you would have asked me which politician sort of represents where the, you know, and I, I hate to generalize, but like where the focus of Jewish politics, Jewish activism has shifted over several decades, I would have said Michael Bloomberg would have been my, my thing. Um, back here um, to this chart, I want to kind of talk a little bit about the drop for, for, for Obama's numbers. Uh, look, let's, if you go back to 2008, um, there were some particular Obama-centered reasons why and that's, again, that 78% number, there's been some work in, by, by liberal pollsters and Democrats um, who wanted to, who's re-looking at some of the exit polling data, said they felt like it may have really been 74%. Of course, some of that was self-serving because they knew that that number for 2012 was going to go down, so they wanted to maybe be the drop from 08 to 12. But okay, point is, clearly by 2012, he dropped to 69%. If you remember, in the primaries, Obama had the issues with Jeremiah Wright. I would also say in the primaries, in the Democratic primaries, um, Hillary Clinton, just like she locked up most of the Democratic endorsements overall, most Jewish lawmakers were supporting Hillary. Hillary had decades-long relationships with a lot of pro-Israel donors, a lot of Jewish activists. So the whole sort of like Jewish political, Democratic, liberal apparatus in the Democratic primaries was invested in Hillary, not in Obama. So they were also invested in making Hillary seem more pro-Israel than Obama, more Jewish-friendly than Obama. So in addition to his own Jeremiah Wright issue, he, had, he was also outside of Chicago. He didn't really have a, 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 a you know, there, there's some senators who have long-standing relationships with national Jewish organizations. They've been working with them on Israel, on Soviet, on Soviet Jewry, on other issues. Obama just didn't have that, uh, that background. That said, um, there is something happening in the Jewish body politic that I do think contributes to that somewhat, and it's something that will continue to be the factor, which is, um, I don't want to get there yet, is that the Orthodox Jewish vote is now becoming its own vote. Whereas if you started to look down this line, Orthodox may not have been voting for Democrats as heavily as all other Jews, but they were still voting majority Democrat. And if you compared them to other white religious conservatives, the gap was pronounced. Meaning, there's, if you look at white, there's, there's almost no single indicator for white people in terms of how you're going to vote that is greater than whether or not you attend a house of worship once a week. If you, if you are a white person who attends a house of worship once a week, in large numbers, you are voting for Republicans. So, the, so in some sense, you could say it's kind of weird that what, what we joke, you know, that kind of going back to the thing I said before about voting like Puerto Ricans, we joke like, oh, so now Orthodox Jews are voting like Goyim as a joke. Or if you want to be more PC, they're voting like evangelical Christians. And it seems like a question, but I could say really 
Why did it take so long? Like, it's actually, it's not a surprise that Orthodox Jews are voting different. And by the way, we're, we're now starting, to, it seems that Orthodox Jews, and um, probably from carry on, um, are starting, like, voting 60% for um, the Republican candidate. Um, and so that's, I would say, Matt, maybe the real question is, why now? As a, like, why did it take so long? So I'm, I'm going to, again, there's no, this is not a scientific theory. This is Ami Eden's uh, best guess. So one important thing, Dick Cheney is the grimace, but it's not so much about him. James Baker and George Herbert Walker Bush, if people recall, um, George Bush was seen as having a very um, tricky and testy relationship with um, Prime Minister Yitzhak Shamir. They had to fight over loan guarantees. Jim Baker was seen as being very tough on Israel, along with the president. So I think for starters, you know, there was this kind of sense that the Republicans were the party of oil, you know, Arabist uh, foreign policy that um, definitely put a hindrance on, you know, it's really not till George W. Bush becomes the president and then the Palestinians have the second intifada and then, um, you know, President Bush really backs up Israel's uh, fight to curb the, the terrorism war that's been launched where you know, sort of that, that stigma is, is totally um, re removed. The other thing I'd say is what was, the, what was a galvanizing moment for religious conservatives where you really started to see religious Christians become essentially an arm of, of the Republican Party, the conservative movement, um, was abortion. Um, in, the, in, in the mid-70s, the legalization, the constitutional, you know, Roe versus Wade, and the fall from that really um, politicizes evangelical Christians. Abortion is not, is a much more complex issue when it comes to Orthodox Judaism. And so it wasn't, you know, the cultural galvanizing political issue for many Christians, conservatives, was not really a galvanizing issue for Orthodox Jews. But if I said to you, what was the cultural, what was the religious, cultural sort of equivalent in the post-2000 era of our country, what would you say is like the religious, secular, what issue became? No, no, I'm saying cultural. Hot button. Gay marriage. And Orthodox Jews, for them, gay marriage is a very serious and problematic issue. So in a way, in a way that abortion never galvanized or you know, created a sort of like, put, did not put religious Jews in a sense of like the secular society is at odds with us, gay marriage absolutely did, to, to varying degrees depending on which orthodox, but it, there's no question it reinforced, I'd say, you know, here, uh, you know, we now see, you know, you start to see orthodox Jews, this is, not, not all Orthodox Jews are joining these protests, but I'm just saying that there's like, it, it reinforced this, it, it, for Orthodox, the sense that perhaps historically the, the biggest divide for a religious Jew was the Christian world's persecution of religious Jews. But in America today, the secular versus religious divide, and especially when you then look, when you look at the wider world and you overlay the issues of Islamic terrorism and Israel's security issues 
and the conservative Christian world is very much behind Israel, it sort of opens up the door for Orthodox Jews to feel as if their comrades in, in, in certain areas are in fact their fellow religious, their fellow, their observant religious people of other faiths. Um, and by the way, in, in some sense, it's, it's progress in America, right? Like, I'm always fascinated by the fact that we have evangelical Christians who are fighting for Republican candidates who are going to basically appoint Catholic conservatives to the Supreme Court. I mean, every conservative on the court, we now have a court where basically everybody is a Jew or a Catholic, and all of the conservative justices are Catholic. And if you rewind back into another area, the notion that the, you know, that religious... Protestants would, you know, would be cheering the appointments of Catholics to basically be a dominant force on the Supreme Court. Like that's that's a major evolution in the sense of democratization and you know uh, within the camp of religious. So again, like the idea that Orthodox Jews, Orthodox Protestants, religious Protestants, conservative Protestants, conservative Catholics, that they're sort of that those walls are coming down within that frame is actually a a very it's a very American, uh, a very American um, um, development. Um, yes. Oh, there's just a um, a, um, uh, a an Orthodox Jew, a, 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 a Hasidic Jew. He has a sign: "Today's man marries man, tomorrow man marries giraffe." Now that's extreme. I'm just showing the picture to show that you'll now see Orthodox Jews. Um, protesting. There's a, I don't know if people saw this. There's a story in the New York Times. Now we have the phenomena where there are some, um, some this is not mainstream, but like some extreme um, Hasidic groups that basically have hired Mexicans, they, they hired Mexicans to dress up <laughs> as Hasidic Jews and to, pro, they were pro, it's the Naturi Karta, um, which is a very extreme Hasidic group. They, they, they protest, they're anti-Zionist. Every year they protest the Israel parade. Last year there were like, it was the weirdest thing. There were like, there were different Hispanics dressed up as Hasidic Jews holding signs, also at a gay rally. And so it was like they were outsourcing the protest. It was the weirdest, the weirdest thing. I, I can't, I, 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 another only in America story. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklowitz. I hope you've been enjoying and learning something new from this podcast. I certainly am. If you have a moment, please consider making a contribution at www.valleybaitmidrash.org. Thank you so much, and now back to the learning. So the other thing that I find really interesting about the sort of growing orthodox republicanism is that, and we saw this when, our, like when the New York primary happened. It was actually really interesting this year. We realized like a, a couple weeks ahead Usually, the primaries in New York are irrelevant. By the time, like, even New York has the most Jewish voters by far, but by the, New York often has a late primary, and by the, often by the time they get to New York, the race, especially on the Democratic side, the race has already been over. So you have these huge swaths of Democratic Jews, um, and now you're, but, but this year, you had two pretty competitive races going on. And so it was like, wow, this is like a Jewish, like the Jews have a big uh, chance to play a role. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think that the 
Oh, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll, we'll actually get, yeah. You mean, oh, like, and that identifies conservative. You, you mean political, small c. Yeah, we'll, I have some stats. No, no, no. I meant that as uh, uh, Oh, you mean, oh, I couldn't give you the percentage right now. I mean, in New York, it's, feral, it's relatively high, like, but I don't want to, I don't want to. You're saying what percentage of the Jewish community? Or, right. I think you. Uh, Hasidic? No, I don't believe so. I, 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 they are, but there's still, but there's still a lot of Jews in New York. Yeah, no, it is. It's growing. I, I, I really don't want to tell you because I just don't, I don't know off the top of my head. So why do I have up here Fox News, NSP, MSNBC, Breitbart, The Huffington Post? One, when we, we sent, oh, the reason I went on that tangent about the, the primary was, so we started to do a lot of coverage of the different groups. It was like a lot of fun, a lot of stories. And one of the things we did was we sent, one of our reporters went out to some of the Orthodox neighborhoods where Trump was getting a lot of support to talk to them about why they like Trump. And I think we kind of thought, you know, I don't even know, I don't even know how many of you remember, but like there was the incident in the late 90s when Hillary was the first lady and she hugged Arafat's wife after she had given a speech where she had said some very, really like terrible things about the Israelis, and she had come out earlier and talked about a Palestinian state. Like we thought they were going to like pull out things like that. What 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 did what did our reporter hear the most about? Benghazi. Like it was amazing they, that they were talking about their republicanism and their support for Trump in the same exact way that anybody else would. Right? It was not. A, a heavily, yeah, I mean, there's concern about Israel for sure, but I'm saying they were throwing out Obamacare, Benghazi, is, and, and my point is that one of the things we're seeing in the Jew Jewish community in general is that the sort of, uh, I, you know, the, the increasing partisanship and ideological polarization of our media outlets are definitely playing out in, I think, the way that Jews identify with their politics. And le less and less Jews of different religious and political stripes are less and less they're finding common cause with each other, and more and more they're turning to their left and they're turning to their right, and you know, sort of reaching and reading from the, you know from all the different voices that are out there, and so that Jewish conservatives and Jewish conservative organizations have huge platforms through. Places like Fox and Breitbart and the and and potential audiences and the same is true on the left. So you know, so that groups don't have to even be debating each other. They can sort of just be lining up on the sides that our media's are going that our media is going to um, that our politics is going to. And again, we're seeing that the that the that the, that the, the discourse of, of of Jews across the spectrum are really often imitating the political sides that they're on. Um, and I just thought, I mentioned the Orthodox because it was right. You would think, like, you go and you talk to an Orthodox guy who's voting for Trump, you would think, oh, maybe you're going to hear something that's different or super hyper-Israel focused. Uh, and of course, it goes both ways. Though. You, you, talk, you look at what Fox News is reporting and other conservative sites, they talk about Israel. They talk about the Iran deal. So there's sort of a cross-pollinization. Um, 
And I'm, I'm, it's, I'm making no value judgment about it on the left or the right. It's just an observation I see. The, the, the thing that I feel um, unhappy about is that I do think it is, um, in the same way that one could say it's hurt the body politic of the United States, the way that, the way that our politics and media has been evolving and becoming more polarized, more polarized. Um, I, I feel like it's impacting the Jewish, I feel like it has an impact on the Jewish community as well, that it, it tests the, you know, it's, it, it, it puts pressure on the, on the relationships and the, and, and the, and the, the bonds and the, you know, it, it, it's not just now that we have religious differences in our community, but those religious differences are starting to attach themselves to political differences, which I think just makes it harder for a community to, um, to, hold, to hold together. Just an observation. Um, just uh, the American Jewish Committee, they had a survey about a month ago. Um, just wanted to see where it was at. Hillary Clinton, 61%. Donald Trump, 19%. But I want you to take, don't think about the number for a second. 61% for Hillary Clinton would be very low. But guess what? 19% for Donald Trump would be low. It, Hillary's actually getting, if you take the people who said they were going to vote for Hillary or Donald Trump, she's taking 75% of that vote, right? What's interesting here is the number of people, you know, you're talking about 17% um, of the people who answered basically said they're voting for Gary Johnson, Jill Stein, or they won't vote. So it, it, it's not that Hillary Clinton's drop is Donald Trump's or the Republicans' gain. It's that right now, at this point in the cycle, you have a very large group of, um, of unhappy voters. And in fact, Donald Trump as a percentage is trailing Romney's total more than Hillary is at a percentage trailing Obama's total. Who is oh. oh, this? Is Amer I'm sorry, this is American Jews. American. I'm, I'm sorry, yeah, this, the, the, these numbers I'm showing are for, are for American Jews. Now, um, but just to give you a little context, yeah, yeah. Would it be too out there, risky to say that the 19% of American Jews who say that they're going to vote for Donald Trump are more orthodox oh. and are probably, they're all orthodox? They're not all orthodox. Or not the, all, but... I mean, 19%, I mean, this survey found that I think 9 or 10% of the respondents were orthodox, right? So I'm saying, like, even if every... I don't know if... The, the, I'm not an expert on the waiting and everything, but I'm saying if even if every orthodox Jew voted for Donald Trump, you'd still need to have other okay, we'll Jews. You'd, you'd need it, right. But it's the majority not, of that 90% would be orthodox? I, I don't even know if that's true. Okay. I mean, but I, I was... If you said 40 to 50% of them, but, and, but, ortho, but that's still... I mean... Orthodox are still a very small percentage yeah, of the order. So that's a significant amount. Um, but what's interesting, I saw we had a story today. There's an organization called the Republican Jewish Coalition. I, don't, I, don't, I might be off here. I think we found that 80% of their board members, check, make sure my, I'm getting this right, have not given money to Donald Trump, which is an amazing stat. Like, so... Even, I mean, the, one place where Don, it's indicative of the fact that one place Donald Trump, it's not just like where his percentage is, a lot of Republican Jewish money is not flowing 
to Trump. Um, yes, you're still going down ballot. You still have, yes. Um, oh, I just want to show you, in 2008, before Palin was, like, right before she was picked, like, he, I think there was polling, different polls out that had Jews saying 60 to 62% said they were going to vote for Obama. Um, there was a poll that said, I think, 53% of Jews had disapproved of Palin. And on Election Day, um, Obama finished with 74 78%. My point is, I think that the Hillary number is going to go up from 61 to 60. You know, that there's, there's a level of dissatisfaction that can be voiced in a poll now or a month ago where people say they're not going to vote. But when push comes to shove, you know, and I suspect Trump's 19% will go up too. That there's some people, like some of those people are going to make a different decision. They're not going to vote for Gary Johnson. They're not going to vote for Joe Stein. Or they are going to vote even though they said they're not, you know, um, they're not going to vote. So some other, from these American Jewish Committee stats, interesting, um, I put it, Dems dropping, because if you, 50, in 2008, 56% um, of Democrats, 56% of Jews said that they were de- um, that they were identifying as Democrats, and that number's down to 51% this year. But you'll see that Republicans are really did not make the gain. I'm worried that I think that one of those independents think the change is in independence. I'm not sure which one of these stats is off. But what I was going to say is I don't think you'll see from the next slide is not. It is more about people being unhappy with this race than it is about the underlying um, ideological. Somebody asked about small C conservative, because you'll see the next slide. 44% identified as liberal in 2008, and 51% are identifying as liberal in 2016. And, that, and it's not that the conservatives are dropping. What's happened is the moderates have dropped from 30 to 23%. I headlined this liberal is back, and what I'm really saying is, should have really said, like, it's okay to be liberal again. Like, I don't really know, I'm not sure I believe that people's actual beliefs in the issues has changed. I think what has happened is, you know, liberal at a certain point became a dirty word, and we've reached the point now where people are arguing in the Democratic Party about who's the more progressive candidate. We have a self-described socialist you know, getting almost 50% of the delegates. Like, I, 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 I think this is more about people's comfort with labels. You know, that, that I, I don't know that, the, that 7% of that, of Jews have become more liberal as opposed to they may be more willing to identify as liberal, but I, that's, that's not a scientific... Uh, Do you know about a intergenerational divide there? I don't know. Um, but... The, the number of liberal Jews isn't growing, like, right? Like, the liberal, like, peop, the segments of the Jewish community who are the most liberal are having the fewest kids, right? Like, there's probably not, right? I'm saying the, the cohort, you know, the, the, they're not the biggest cohort. Um, all right, so I think that was, oh, no, oh, one more. So just interesting, they ask, the American Jewish Committee Survey always asks people what issue they care, American Jews, what issue 
do they most care about in the election? And it's always interesting, and this is true with the general population too, people always talk about economic issues first. And it's always, I mean, and of course in 08, it was like off the charts because you had the economic crisis going on. But you'll see the, the, the biggest answer, and, and these, these were provided, so like, it's, like they don't, you know, you were given a list. So like they don't use Israel, they lump, you know, they assume that, because, you know, national security, foreign policy. But you'll see that the, the issues that actually people say are most on their minds are things having to do, you know, I, I group 43% if you take economy, healthcare, taxes, and the deficit. National security, foreign policy is 26%. The sort of, uh, I, I call them the more, you know, climate change. I put climate change, immigration, and race together. That's only 17%. So it's interesting and again, if you look at surveys of the population overall, people talk about economics. This is totally anecdotal. I will say that, like, in my life, they, it, it's not the economic issues in this election that people yell at each other about. Like, or get, like, it's a lot of these other issues. So I don't know how to read. Like, I don't know what to make of these surveys. I don't know if people here have a different anecdotal experience, but it's not. I feel like people don't, like, People don't yell and scream and bang the table at each other because of their concerns over the economy, at least in my, like, it's, it's often like, you know, again, some of these other issues that people that I know get more animated about, liberal and conservative, but, but still, this, this, this is what the stats say. So that's really my slides. I'm happy to open it up to questions or if people have things they want to talk about. But. Yeah, and among the, I get several of your Emails right. and, and other right. and Thank you. Strong concern about Obama's actions relative to the UN and uh, pushing for a peace deal after the election. How real do you think that is? Where did all the, where have the stories about that originated? Is is a, a plan leak? I think I think there's a couple things going on. One is, first of all, just I don't know if people know what um, the gentleman's talking about, is that um, there's been a, a big kind of increasing talk that will, will the Obama administration try to do something in the lame duck session to advance um, the Palestinian-Israeli front in some way. And you know, there had been at one point talk about would President Obama articulate like a view of you know, an American view of what the parameters of a settlement should look like, and that sort of evolved into a buzz about would there actually be some sort of resolution at the UN, and, and, and you know, would the Obama administration end up backing that as opposed to vetoing it, and, and you know, that, and I think there's, I think that there is, a, I think conservatives, there's a group of conservatives, both Jewish and non-Jewish, who always fear the absolute worst from in their from their perspective about president obama and so and so i do think that part of it is you just you do have a group of people just hugely suspicious and distrustful um, and it fits into their view of him and the end of the world that he's going to find a way to stick it to to netanyahu and to israel before he goes i i do also think that the administration itself has certainly not come out and said, this absolutely will not happen, right? Like, they have not, 
shut it down um, in, in, in a very well, forceful some way. Some people talked about the motivation being revenge. Right. So I don't, can't imagine as international policy that right. he would seek personal revenge. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Right. Well, I think so, but I think, look, I think the interesting, what, so I have no idea if this is a real thing or not, and, and frankly, I feel like I would like us to do some reporting now rather than later on what I'm about to say, which is we're going to have an election, and everybody talks about the lame duck session, but if Hillary Clinton wins, is the Obama administration going to push a lame duck agenda that puts them at odds with the Israeli government if that's not what a president-elect Hillary Clinton wants? I mean, that would really be... And that, to me, is the... That, what, whatever anybody thinks is going to happen now, whatever some people in the administration would like to see happen now, that, to me, is the story, right? Assuming... If you assume... I mean, if Donald Trump wins, I don't think... I'm not sure that the Obama administration really cares what Donald Trump wants. Uh, but I think if Hillary Clinton wins, and right now, like, the polling would suggest that's the case, um, one of the things that's emerged with the WikiLeaks is that, you know, a lot of the, it would seem like the mood in the Clinton camp is they don't feel like being, they want to turn down the flame with the Netanyahu government. They're not looking to sort of be butting heads. So I, so I just, I, I, I think it would be, I'm not, I'm, I, I don't know. I haven't done any reporting on it, so I'm not going to say the Obama administration is not going to do it. I'm just saying it's going to be fascinating to watch, and if they, like, if they do do it, does that mean that it's what? It's not, it's not a story about Obama. To me, it's a story about Hillary, right? Like, if they're going to do that, then I just cannot imagine they're going to do it over the objections of an incoming Hillary Clinton administration. Well, it seems like some of it started with the memory Well, I think I think what's even more than that. I think what's fueling it, you know, the latest, you know, the the Obama administration had some pretty strong, strong criticisms and condemnations of like the latest settlement announcement. And it wasn't just that they criticized it; they they were talking about like, you know, like is this how friends treat each other? You know, it was like it was more than just a criticism. There was a sort of sense that like we just did this memorandum of understanding. We're sticking with you. We're trying to do stuff, and like, this is how you reward us. And, and, and so I think for the people who fear the Obama administration, and they, they say, oh, well, if they're saying you're betraying us as a friend, does that open the door for them to... My two, one last like unscientific, unreported, just Ami Eden speculation, I really, think, I really wonder if the whole UNESCO fight right now makes it harder, it just makes it that much harder for the Obama administration to push any sort of anti-Israel or hard on Israel agenda at the UN, right? But that, that's, but that's... It's pretty ridiculous. What was their goal? They were supposed to help in education and children and suddenly they're... Right. And I think it's important, I mean, look, in some ways I felt like what I, where I think we all, like where I think the media, some media missed the boat on this story a little, a little bit is 
everybody's focusing on UNESCO, which is important, but how, how does that resolution happen? Why is it happening? Well, Palestinians are pushing that resolution. So, so like, in some ways, it's like, yeah, UNESCO, whatever, but what, like, understanding what's going on on the ground. And like, Israeli settlement policy is one thing, but the Palestinians' own behavior is another. And whatever you think about Israeli settlement policy, whatever you think about Prime Minister Netanyahu, whatever you think about his intentions, he's been fairly open and clear and willing to say, I'll, I'm ready to go to the table and negotiate. And the Palestinians, and you can, you can make excuses, you can say, well, they shouldn't trust people, you can say whatever you want, but it's very clear. They have had the approach, we are not going to negotiate with the Israelis, we are going to try to squeeze them, box them in, get our way through the UN, UN agencies, and, uh, and, and, this, is, and this, in a sense, is the story behind the story on, on the UNESCO front, I think. Yes? Last year, Jonathan Chancer was here about the Iran deal. We got to talk to him personally after. He wrote two books, you know, State of Failure and Hamas versus Fatah, uh, you know, the struggle for Palestine. And he's in the Foundation for, for Support of Democracies. And he met with Palestinians before he wrote the second book. They were afraid to come out in public. Mm-hmm. But they feel they have a profoundly corrupted leadership and Mahmoud Abbas, 250 billion euros disappeared. It's a totally dysfunctional society. A, a German analyst said it's the most anti-Semitic people on the planet, some of them. So why isn't that in the news, that Palestine is totally dysfunctional? There's nobody you can talk to to have a reasoned debate. It never makes the news here. You're a news guy. Why not? I think there are co- well, First of all, I think right now, in reality, right now, yeah. I think very little about the Israelis and Palestinians are in the news because events in the region are... Nobody's... This is not going to be the moment when people start doing a better job of examining the Palestinians when they're busy writing about ISIS and Syria. Like, that that doesn't answer your question for the longer term. I'm just saying, like, now is certainly not going to be the moment where that's going to change. You know, I, I don't have any great insights that aren't already out there in terms of um, you know, Western media sort of um, embracing a narrative that views Israel as sort of a Western power, holding it to a set of expectations that they don't hold the Palestinians to. Why, why can't they be fair and balanced? What is, why don't they even look at the truth of what's going on? Even Levin, you know, the vice president of Israel, because they get Jerusalem report, it's amazing, right. wanted to make an Israeli-Palestinian federation or, or Right. Where you, you, you know about all that, we would chair Jerusalem, we right. would chair infrastructure. That never makes the news here. Right. Why not? No, I, I think... I th- media is pretty biased, that's why. Why? <laughs> I, 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 can't, I, I can't get it. I mean, like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't have an, I don't have an answer, a great answer to that question that's fresh or new, you know. Um, I, yeah, I don't... It's and one other thing quickly, yeah. the Iran deal. How did you feel about the Iran deal from last year? Remember, of course, that, that uh, Iranian nuclear scientists can go to North Korea, joint venture to development of right. their joint aggressive nuclear weapons, and 
the sunset clause comes in in 15 years. They have 150 but, million dollars. They can do anything they want. Never makes the news. But I don't think, I don't think the nuclear. I mean, people can have a different perspective here. I don't think the Iranian nuclear deal has been a relevant factor in the election overall, right? And and I certainly don't think, and I don't think it's going to impact. I don't think it's going to impact the Jewish vote much. I, I just don't. I mean, part of it is because, yes, Hillary endorsed it, but she wasn't there. It wasn't her. Di- you know that, right? You know what I'm saying. So I don't think. I mean, even, I mean. So you're talking about a ve- you're talking about a very small number of people who would otherwise vote for Hillary Clinton, but are not going to vote for her because she backed Obama. And because I even think so, I even think some of the people who are centrist, let's say, you know, it's, it's a group of people who are willing to go either way. It's not a big group, but I think there is a perception that Hillary is more hawkish on Middle East affairs than Obama, and certainly more hawkish when it comes to, you know, when you go back and you read her quotes about Iran, it was a very different tenor than Obama's, right? That she said, fine, this is a good deal, it gets, and now we have to rally our allies and basically like beat back Iranian aggression. Like she didn't, she said, fine, the deal's fine. And now let's go like fight them. And, and, by, and you see it play out. Many of the neocons, most of them are, are not, they're not necessarily endorsing Hillary, but they're not endorsing Trump. So it's sort of like, there's no, there, there's no, so there's the, the people who might want to, like if Marco Rubio was the candidate, I think you'd have a much louder contingent of, of Jewish neocon foreign policy types who would be hammering Hillary for not distancing herself and not criticizing the Iran deal. But meanwhile, they are horrified about the way Trump talks about Putin and NATO. And, and so, right, right, exactly, right. I mean, you talk about, right, Brett Stevens. Brett Stevens calling him a psychopath. So... The consti- I think that the, the intellectual energy, the, the, the sort of intellectual foot soldiers who would make Hillary suffer for the Iran deal aren't really invested in making her suffer for the Iran deal. So I just don't think it's going to be an issue in the Jewish vote, but that's, yeah. Um, you were talking about the forces of unity within the Jewish community when it comes to a vote. Um, I think I have two questions here. The first one is, um, did you see any of the rallying around 2004, 2005, when Bush stated that he would unconditionally support Israel, was that a, a moment of unity, do you think, within the Jewish community? And then the second part of that is, do you see something on the forefront that will be a unifying force? Well, I think a lot of Jews appreciated President Bush's support for Israel in fighting Palestinian terrorism. But I also think a lot of Jews increasingly thought the Iraq war was a terrible idea that destabilized the region and threatened Israel in other ways and threatened America and threatened the region. So, you know, I, when you say, like, ultimately, he didn't do that well amongst Jews, even in 2004 against Kerry. So I, I don't know, you know, I don't... You know, I, I don't know how to. I don't know if that answers the question exactly. Yeah. And in terms of the future, um, I really, 
I, I don't know. I mean, one, one thing that I see happening that I'm really fascinated about um, is that you definitely see, on, the, on the, the Republican side, clearly, and I'm not talking about Donald Trump himself, but clearly his campaign and his success is energizing like segments of America where anti-Semitism on the right exists. Meanwhile, not so much out of, not from Hillary's, this isn't about Hillary's candidacy, but more long-term trends on the left. You clearly see sort of the merging of pro-Palestinian, anti-Israel activism, leftist politics that are creating situations, especially on campus, where, like we mentioned, I went to Brown. You know, we, I saw there was a story we, this year where there was a Brown group, there was Hillel was bringing some sort of transgender right activ- rights activists. They were in some coalition, and they basically got booted out of the coalition. I can't remember the details, but basically all the other leftist groups were like, we don't want you because you're like, it became like a thing because you're too pro-Israel. So you're seeing things like that play out. And I think what I wonder when you ask me, it's kind of morbid, but like, is there room for some, could it be that rather than every, rather than the left-wingers pointing at the anti-Semites on the right and ignoring the disturbing trends on the left and the people, the Jews on the right pointing to the disturbing trends on the left but ignoring the disturbing trends on the right, could there be some sort of renewed cross-political, cross-religious sort of Jewish consensus that we all have our different politics, but we're all going to not only critique, whether you want to call it anti-Semitic or, or something close to it, you know, could, could there be, like, as those forces are rising all over the place, could we sort of, again, have a renewed, rather than each side just politically, opportunistically using the other one to score points, instead have a kind of community-wide consensus that we're going to call that stuff out, you know, across the board? Maybe that's a potential? It seems clear um, that American Jews are predominantly voting Democrats, and that's not necessarily going to change drastically. Not Certainly outside of the Orthodox world. Right, yeah, right, right, outside right. of the Orthodox world, and it's not going to change right. drastically in these elections or right. maybe in future Zoonos. It is clear that in Israel, there is not going to be any left-wing coalition party right. for a long time. Right. It's not happening. Right. So is the Jewish population... How, how is this going to be okay. out? So that's, an, that's a very good question. Um, the, you know, the question, if everybody heard, basically, if the American Jew, if, especially in the non-Orthodox world, if the American Jews are going to continue to vote liberal and Democrat and the Israeli body politics is going to continue to skew to the right, what, what does that mean for the future? So I'd say a few things. One, I don't have the stats in here. It's interesting, in some of these American Jewish committee stats, they'd say, do you think Netanyahu is handling, I forget if it's the peace process or U.S.-Israel relations well, and he gets fairly high marks. High, and, but Obama would also get high marks, not even this, I think, I think if I recall, Netanyahu did better, but they were both 60, 70%. And so I also, the part of me was like, people have the ability to like, kind of dissident say like, oh, even though those, you know, you're right, and you're right. You can't both be right. You're right. And like, it's sort of like people are willing to do that. I think, um, I, I also, I mean, look, I think there is a reality that the region is unraveling, you know, and, and 
So I do think that that gives Netanyahu some base, you know, like, um, and I think, and I do think Hillary Clinton would, ironically, I actually think if you have a Democratic president and Netanyahu who are trying to cooperate, that could be better than the dynamic when you have a Republican. So I'll give you an example. When Ehud Omar, Ehud Omar came to APAC at some point in Bush's second term, when the Iraq war had already gone south, as you know, and people and the popular Bush's popularity was down, and the po- support for the war was down, and he came to APAC and like praised Bush and praised his leadership in the Iraq war, and Pelosi came out and criticized him, and like that's not that's a pro- like in terms of what you're asking, like yeah. liberal American Jews and Bibi, if Bibi, if you have a Republican president who's doing things that liberal Jews are really against, and then the Israeli prime minister is seen as embracing and buttressing it, that's a, not a good recipe, right? If Obama and Bibi are bashing heads, that's not a super recipe, but get, I, like I told you, the surveys sort of seem like people can <clears throat> kind of, they accept he's this. I think Bibi's bigger issues, in some, I mean, I think the issue, I do think the, um, the sort of religious pluralism issues are, also, are, are, can be just as challenging. Those, I think, are going to be more challenging than right. Palestinians. Right, right. Mm. Um, well, what issue is that? No, religious, the, the, you know, that, you know, like, Bibi tried to negotiate this compromise where there would be egalitarian prayer at a different section of, no, at a different section of the wall. Yeah, but well, my point is, not it, even what they really but, want. but it's even, right, but it's already falling apart, not because of him, but because the Orthodox are now, under, and so, it, what part of Netanyahu's problem is, even, even if he wants to kind of work that out in a way that will make reform and conservative Jews happy in America, he's got political constituents that... that today, yeah. you cannot form a, any government without, without the yeah. ultra-Orthodox right. parties. Right. Yeah. And without the ultra-Orthodox parties... They, I mean, your are ultra-Orthodox parties, they will never, <clears throat> over their dead bodies, and they said it, that it's going to be over their right. dead bodies, certain right. issues. Right. I th- and those are the issues uh, that a lot of American Jewry cares about. Right, right, uh, right. I mean, I think, where, I think where Netanyahu got into trouble is when you cross that line and you're perceived as trying to meddle in the sort of political process rather than the policy process. You know, the idea that if... I, I think even many liberal Jews sort of accept that Netanyahu is the prime minister of Israel and has to defend Israel's interests, can accept that even if they don't always agree with it. But it starts to change when you feel like he's not coming over here and, you know, picking sides. So did, and that, and, did he make a mistake in coming here and talking, you know, behind the president's back, so to speak. Was that, I, in Israel, do you think they feel like... I, I, well, I would say, I mean, the reason I would say it was a mistake, just yeah. tactically, the only chance you had to sink the Iran deal was to flip, you had to flip a certain number of Democrats. Mm-hmm. And by being seen as going around the back yeah. of the Democratic president and sort of that being... included. No, okay, but I'm just saying it. May, what I'm saying is, you made it that much more unlikely that Democrats were going to flip. Right. 
against it. But but let's also no, but let's right, but let's also just say let's also acknowledge the chances that the that enough Democrats are gonna go against Obama on Iran was close to nothing anyway. So I'm not gonna you know, but you know, I I, I mean I think his pro- I think Bibi's problem was that the idea that they hit it, that you know that the you know the Boehner said they asked they they gave the information to Ambassador Dermer and then told him don't tell the White House and that he sat on it for a couple weeks. That that I think was the in a sense the biggest problem. But yeah, Shmuley, go ahead. Sorry. And just just noting your five minutes left. Okay. Um, so um, do Jews still matter? In, in, in any of this. I mean, obviously votes add up, and there's money, but it, when you talked about how Jews don't have to actually argue because they've kind of fallen out with the, the larger secular media, right. media, the conservative media, are Jews actually adding anything, aside from Israel, anything unique to the discourse? And I guess asked differently, um, does the Jewish journalism, does Jewish media add anything unique to the discourse? If it merely falls out in sort of a liberal conservative way. Right. Um, what are we actually? What are we? What are we as Jews and Jewish writers actually contributing to the narrative discourse on this? Well, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to address that. I mean, clearly, there are Jews who play prominent roles, both political parties, but not necess- but the, but just as individuals, right? So it's not it's not like the Jewish body politic. Right. Um, I mean, I do. I do think the Jewish organizational world's ability to sort of serve as an independent moral voice has been severely weakened by the right, like they, if if somebody if somebody who leads an organization it's sort of like what's happening with the FBI director right now right when he comes out and says Hillary Clinton didn't commit a crime then all the the, you know, no, nobody on the Republican side says, "Well, I respect the director of the FBI." You know, they attack him, and then when he le- uh, he releases this thing now, you know, all the politicians basically—well, not Obama, not the president, but all the Democratic lawmakers, the Hillary people—they're bashing him. Uh, you know, so I think like any Jewish organization like comes out that there's—I don't know that there's any Jewish organization that carries a moral authority beyond the people who want to for political purposes, agree with what they say, right? So if the ADL comes out and says, oh, that Republican went too far, all the Democrats will say, yeah, that's what the ADL said. But if the ADL turns around and criticizes a Democrat... And, and was the, the last individual, Elie Wiesel, was he the last... I mean, I, I do think Elie Wiesel is a unique individual in the sense that, you know, we don't have a chief... Ra- I, we say, like, he's the closest thing to a chief rabbi. Like, if you would have said, who's the chief rabbi of America? I, I, we, like, in my office, what you said when he died, like, he spoke in a moral voice from a Jewish position that seemed to carry some sort of wider societal... Not in the okay, not, but I'm saying in the... Well, he had, Shmuel was asking the wider world. Oh, okay, yeah, so yeah. I'm saying like it, that he sort of could transcend... Yeah. You know, but by the way, now I'm not even saying he was perfect. I mean, you started to have people from the left who were, who were saying his silence on issues of Palestinian rights undercut his... You know his standing, in other ways. Some people also uh, criticized him because he went to the to Bibi's speech right. at the house. Right, right, no, exactly. So it, yes, so I'm saying even he was weakening. I think, I think you have seen that um, the fact that you have a lot of pro-Israel 
neocons and columnists who have been critical of Trump, along with, and that's not just Jews, I mean, there are also non-Jews who are in that foreign policy establishment who have been critical of Trump, but I, I think that's, that's had an impact um, with, certainly within that party. Um, so I mean, I think, there's, I, think, I think there's some influence there, and it's still like, compared to our numbers, et cetera, it's there, but it's, I, I do think that like, it's, it's harder for Jewish groups to play a sort of like, a role where they can sort of be, where they can escape the politics. Like you, you look at the, what APAC has had to try to navigate, it's increasingly hard for them to sort of advance a position as APAC that's not immediately lumped with, oh, you're siding with them or you're siding with them. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklowitz. I hope you enjoyed listening to this fascinating lecture. At VBM, we strive to bring you only the best in Jewish educational programming. To do this, we host a wide variety of events throughout our learning season, including panels, classes, and lectures, like the one you've just listened to. Please consider going to www.valleybetemidrash.org and donating to Valley Beit Midrash to support the expansion of meaningful Jewish education. Thank you so much for listening.